Hello. In a world dominated by YouTube videos and Instagram images that can take us anywhere in the world, is there still a place for travel writing? And how can different types of writing about travel tell us about where we come from and who we are? Welcome to Creative Conversations, the Tiger Spirit podcast exploring creativity in all its diverse forms. This episode is also part of Oxford Moments, a multimedia blog about Oxford, its people and places. I'm Yangmei Ui. I'm an author and podcaster. My guest today is travel writer and Oxford resident Callum Ruddock. In our wide-ranging conversation about the art of writing about travel, we look at the different types of travel writing and what travel can teach us about life. And as we are both Oxford residents and neighbours, we also reflect on whether we can bring the curiosity of travel to the place where we live, especially in the context of the global pandemic and travel restrictions. Callum Ruddock, welcome to the Creative Conversations podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Now, travel writing encompasses a wide range of writing related to travel. And uh, let's, um, before I ask you what you specialize in, let's just have a quick romp through sure. all the different types of travel writing. Um, do you want to kick off with some thoughts? Yeah, uh, let's stray from the traditional and start with uh kind of the Sunday time supplement travel, which I now call B&B travel, because it often includes a kind of polite cottage somewhere on the Côte d'Azur, surrounded by a lavender. Um, and these are kind of small pieces of writing, uh, written really in a sales format to entice people, maybe out of their comfort zone. Um, there's a great deal of value in them, and actually can be quite delicate in the way they're written, but they tend to uh, be a showcase in some ways, written in the third person and with... Uh, perhaps uh, attracting people to a region frequently sponsored by uh, local tourist development groups you know visit south france etc um i find them entertaining they're hilarious um and then of course you have your kind of old school traditional patrick lee fermor paul theroux uh you know hemingway-esque writers where it's all about personal development morality identity growth youth um traditionally it's always been foreign man, foreign land, wow, look at this, there's an exotic person, um, but has kind of increasingly become about telling telling stories about an individual in a place, uh, less that the, the location is foreign, but more that the foreign place brings out their personality. Um, and that encompasses really the widest form of travel writing in my eyes. Um, gonzo, I mean, you know, that's a really interesting phenomenon. It's this idea of telling stories about other people rather than projecting uh, your own uh, story. It's saying, well, what's going on over there? But e equally keeping the writer in it. Um, it was a very interesting development in the 70s in journalism and the way we, we tell stories um, and introduced the notion of um, fictionalized nonfiction. 
Now, that's quite interesting because I think most of us, um, when we think of travel writing, um, it is the Sunday supplement. Um, and that gives us a lot of our inspirations for our holidays. Right. Um, and then if we're interested in a particular place, we might do do some further reading. Um, so maybe uh, if let's just pick Spain because um, uh, that's uh, a lot of British people go there. Um, and Hemingway, of course, is very much associated uh, with Spain. And you might read up about um, his experiences um, or other writers who may have lived there. Um, and uh, in that category, would you put Peter Mayle and his life in uh, a year in Provence, or is that a different category, we can, um, which we can move on to? No, I think that's a that's a very good question. Um, it, it it almost informs this idea: is do people read travel writing or travel books to learn about a location, or do they read travel books to uh, understand the writer and how that place imposes itself on them? Um, and I think. Um, with regards to any book that's a story about a life or establishment in a place, it's the um, it's it's the latter. Um, the Sunday Times supplement stuff is great, but it is informative, and I personally don't think that travel writing always has to be informative. And I've read a great many writers who, at times, tweak history. That doesn't mean that what happened didn't did not happen, but it means that um, the order in which said events happened can be manipulated to suit a, a, a story or an ideology or a paradigm, um, and we see that in Hemingway. Um, Hemingway is pushing forward his kind of notions of bravery. That's you know that's who he is, the great lion abroad, and even in Spain, he's out there fighting bulls, and you know he sees great power and strength in that. Um, and you wouldn't you wouldn't pick up a Hemingway and go, well, you know, let's 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 learn about the running of the bulls. It's it's not what that book's for. Um, so no, I don't think it qualifies. It doesn't qualify. It's something different. Um, and, you know, people have multiple opinions on that, really. It, it, this is the joy of travel writing that I find. And we can address this right from the off. It's for everyone. It's accessible at all points. Um, how much time you have, even if it is just the in-flight magazine. I mean, the in-flight magazine as a phenomenon is so interesting to me because it's, it's a one piece of writing written for everyone. You know, I should be able to pick it up on a 13-hour flight to Tokyo and go, ooh, that looks nice. But equally, someone on their two-hour, one-hour EasyJet flight to Benidorm can pull just as much value from it. Um, and so the writers who do that, I think they're commendable. Yes, and I, I think with 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 something like the um, uh, the in flight magazine, um, there is an a- aspect of um, they're trying to get you to go somewhere on their airline, um, and there's nothing wrong with that no. because it opens up your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because if the airline um, regularly flies to Spain, but actually it also goes to somewhere else, and you haven't thought about that until you pick up that magazine, I say, oh, actually, why not? I'll I'll go to Denmark because right. um, it's inspired me. Um, but I want to loop back to, um, uh, I guess, the, a couple of points that, that uh, we, we talked about just now, which is, um, I think I'd like to pick up the uh, uh, the, the sort of life in Provence um, theme, uh, as uh, uh, as well as this idea of, what did you say, narrative, fictionalised, non-fiction? Yeah. Right, fictionalising non-fiction, it's something I, I'm, I'm prone to, and I've seen in a lot of writers, um, I have a writer in my brain, but I can't remember his name. But um, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. But he, um, he's famous for writing basically fiction, travel fiction, informed by his real experiences. And his readers forever emailing him, tweeting him, saying, look, which bit's real, which bit's real? And his response is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I've not depicted the pace in my eyes poorly or unfairly. So what I do there is irrelevant. You know, I could have a cup of coffee or I could have a cup of tea. Does that really affect you? You know, do you want to know the truth? Um, and maybe people do. 
I see their concern. They want to feel that they could be in that place too. Um, and these kind of books about life in Provence. I mean, for me, the go-to, I'm moving abroad and staying there is Patrick Lee Fermor. You know, he just, I'm off to the Peloponnese. I'm going to settle down, find an island, marry a Serbian princess effectively and, and kind of retire into my, my literary world. Um, and yeah, that's travel writing. That's travel writing too. And um, um, uh, Eric Newby comes to mind. Life, mm-hmm. life and death in the Apennines. Um, right. Um, he, it's which is about his experience. I think during the war, where he, um, I can't remember why he's there, but he meets a beautiful young woman and falls in love. And you think, surely not. Surely not. <laughs> surely not. Um, because it seems like a romance novel, um, and he writes it beautifully. Uh, but it's his his real life story, and I think there's an element of the fact that it's a real life story that makes it even more romantic and even more wonderful. Um, but I'm sure that he didn't um, kind of, uh, it, it wasn't, uh, um, what's the word, uh, sort of a, a, um, an actual depiction of day to day, this is exactly what happened. And I guess I can say that for myself, because having written a family memoir, Bound Feet Blues, um, I... Um, remember things from my childhood. I remember um, conversations with my, my, my mother and grandmother. But I've, I've um, what, what is that thing that they say at the beginning of each book, you know, um, uh, uh, characters and events have been uh, dramatized, dramatized right, you know, right. for, for, for the purposes of fiction. So um, there's a scene where uh, I, I sit with, I sit in the story, my childhood like childhood self sits on the lap of my, my mother and we talk about bound feet. I sort of remember that hap- that that happened, but did it really happen, um, or did I just? Um, and I think this is the more the truth of it, which is I compressed a whole load of different conversations um, into a moment that, for me, depicted a mother and child relationship that is tender, right. um, but where we are talking about um, bound feet, and the point is the conversation about bound feet and the exploration of bound feet and how I feel or felt about it as a child. Now, those feelings are as accurate as I can portray them, but the actual circumstance, it wasn't on a, you know, Saturday afternoon at 3.55pm, you know, in this particular place that I actually did this. So I, I, I think we have to allow that in all kinds of writing, uh, memoir as well as travel writing. I think personally... Beyond the notion of allowing such such a format, it's actually accepting that it is the true way in which we perceive the world and how we travel. I mean, it, it, I'd invite you to think of a memory. Um, what, what are your memories? It's often not the mundane. It's often the, the, the most poignant moments, bad or good. And the same will come through in your travel writing. You know, I don't remember the colour of the doorknob on uh, the toilet bathroom in my grandmother's home. And actually... I almost kick myself when I'm I'm writing and I'm having to research or Google or use Google Maps or something to kind of identify a feature. And I think, look, if it's not in my memory, it probably wasn't worth saying. Um, so that stands, even for the most kind of committed travelogue writers who are going to tell you, you know, even present in a diary format. And yes, we went up the stairs and they were large and that made me tired. You know, really, um, even they are, are, are picking and choosing. So you can take that to its logical extreme in, in this kind of fictionalized nonfiction. Um, I've always seen my personal role as romancing the world. Why do that? Well, you know, that's something we can touch on later. But, but in doing so, I am identifying those things that move me most. Or, as you've just said, uh, 
communicates um, communicate a, a feeling or emotion. That's that's what, how I see my job, my role, um, is to is to convince you it's real. You know, um, we live in a very post-truth world in some ways, um, and there's a role for travel journalism in kind of trying to sort that out. I think. Mm. And so we've we've touched on the Sunday supplement mm. uh, type of writing, and we've touched on the personal um, that the the, uh, the where like Hemingway or Patrick Lee Fermor, mm-hmm. he's he, it's about him mm-hmm. and his his perception of the world and mm-hmm. how that space that he's entered into um, actually informs or helps make him the man that he is. And Patrick Lee Fermor uh, was in, um, in Greece during the Second World War and he was quite, he was also involved in some of the um, uh, um, kind of... I wouldn't say escapades, but but the sort of uh, a mission to mm. help the Allies and and the Greeks, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so there was that action adventure aspect of mm-hmm. him, uh, as well as then he went and lived there, and he walked uh, from uh, the UK to Constantinople in his mm-hmm, in his mm-hmm. in his series of books, um, and that's about sort of him. Um, and what has struck me uh, in in terms of. Uh, some of these is is there is a there's the informative what's it like to be there there's the personal what's it like to be this person um, being there being there yes um, and then I guess um, the one the the, the genre um, of the person who goes and lives in a place for for, for a year or or more or they've transformed their lives um, and I think that there is an appeal to all three types um, and for the the one, the person who goes to live somewhere else. Um, I guess we all romanticise and we we dream. It's about our dream of escaping our life. Um, perhaps more so now uh, in the in what's happened in the last year. That mm, gosh, mm. Um, you know, we I wake up and it's dreary and it's raining in the UK. <sighs> what would it be like to go and mm, live mm. in live in Italy or or France? You know. What's interesting of the, of the three examples you've given, I think we could potentially add to them. We could add to them. I think there's a final form that is not typically seen as travel journalism or travel writing, and that is the likes of... Okay, a good example, Homage to Catalonia by George Orwell. Is that a travel book? For me, yes. You know, Others say it's a, it's a conversation about war and conflict. It's uh, an exploration of one's personal ideology. It's uh, development. But all of those features are in the best travel books. Does he move across a space? Yes. And for me, that, that is the, 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 the thing that binds all of these genres together is, is the notion of movement. That is what traveling is. Otherwise, it's static. I'm not telling the story of uh, a location, I'm really telling a story of me within that location, moving through it, or reflecting on those that live uh, within it, but it's always foreign. You know, you, if I wrote a travel book about where I live now, that's not really a travel book in my my eyes. Um, but if someone visited and wrote, it, wrote a travel book about where I live, sure, that's travel. Ah, uh, no, that's interesting. So is it about being the foreigner or a stranger yeah. in a strange land? So what about um, in the 1800s? Was it William Godwin or William Cobham who wrote Rural Rides? He went on a ride through uh, England at that time and he reported uh, in this book about uh, the conditions of the farm labourers in England at that time and the, the peasants as they were mm-hmm, known mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then you you know you mentioned George Orwell uh, down and out in Paris or London right um, so are you allowed to be a travel writer in your own space um, in your own country yes 
but I think unfamiliarity is pot- potentially where the insight is gleaned. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of writers that would disagree. But um, for me, it is that. It is uh, critically applying myself, measuring the environment around me that is potentially unfamiliar, and then putting that down on words, um, and doing so in a way that is poignant, sincere, um, and moving. Um, and that's how I write travel. Um, I, you know, w- we've just spoken about omission and fiction and, and important points, but actually they're at the back of my mind, and what's at the front of my mind is what about what I saw, what what I did is the most interesting thing that I want you to know. You know, I had a miserable time, it rained every day, wouldn't go, that's very interesting, very useful. And, you know, I'd, again, I'd hope the reader goes, ah, oh, that's rubbish, I've been to, insert place name here, and they want to go there too, you know. It's a discourse, it's a, it's a real discourse, um, because it's not a history. Okay, so um, let's dig into what travel writing you write. Right. Uh, I think I, I start with the kind of, the classics really I am very much here I am and this is how this space makes me feel I don't ever really intend to settle down in a place and then write about it that feels almost a little too personal and I certainly don't write to inform so it, it, it is that it is your classical uh, travel story now does that mean that that's a genre kind of ex- extinct of new ideas no I disagree and I think there's there's plenty to run through the mangle and kind of squeeze out um and that does not mean uh finding the newest shiniest place that no one has been because um it's just as important to evaluate the same places from different points and appreciate most importantly that time is a thing and that the paris of the 1920s is not the paris of 2021 you know i'm sure um i'm i'm sure um the kind of great uh, belly pop writers would not talk of the graffiti uh, that is in Paris because it wasn't there. Or if it was, it was certainly very different, um, you know. And gone are the days of the the great terraces of Beauvoir and you know Sartre, um, in in the fifties and sixties because they've been replaced by Starbucks. But that's fine. That's that that's a commentary, right? Um, you know, I was just about to say it's not my job to cast judgment on a place, but it really is my job to cast judgment <laughs> on a place. <laughs> um, you mentioned just now that one of the things you're interested in is uh, sort of like romancing the place. Yes. What does that mean? Romancing the place. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, some people have called romance lying, <laughs> right? Or, um, or, or, or selling up features. But for me, it, it simply means... Um, proving the significance of a place. You know, we could romance anything, um, but a true romance is one where the emotions felt there are real. I I feel my emotions very freely um, and with a great level of intensity, and I can tie those emotions to a location, and I want to share in that. So if the birds really were so stunning that they brought a tear to my eye, that should be included. And someone might say, oh, how cliche. But to me, that's, it's not important, you know. The, the, the romance is... It's a storytelling device, um, but one grounded in my, my real perception of a place. Um, you know, if if you get an opportunity to read my travel writing, you'll find that a lot of it is about places with a very deep personal connection, a friend or a family member. They feature very strongly, and that gives me that emotional leverage or that emotional point to kind of make a judgment or, or uh, interact with a location. Um, local people are very key to that. Um, and in fact, people in general are very key to that. Um, 
though a great many travel books have been written simply about landscapes. Um, you know, Bill Bryson is a very good example of that. He talks a lot about people, but, you know, in many of his books. Um... I just want to pause there and, and kind of go back to pick up something. Mm. I think people in, in, in travel writing and a travel space are a really in, interesting and important thing to dig into. And, and I'd like, like to come back to that. But what I want to pick up on is this idea that um, or, uh, or sense that romance is a feeling that comes from inside you. Mm. Uh, because we think of, oh, romantic Paris. Mm, um, mm, mm. And... Uh, we think about uh, those the, the Eiffel Tower, mm. the beautiful um, architecture, mm, the mm. boulevards, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. The, all that. Um, and then there's Starbucks. Mm-hmm. So does that stop Paris in modern times being not so romantic? Speaking freely, uh, in my opinion, uh, Paris has lost its charm, but I never found its charm in the first place. Um, I enjoy Paris because the people I know are there. Um does it stop being Paris being romantic? I don't think so. And people fly from all around the world to be in Paris. Um, something is romantic because it does come from within inside us, as you've just said. Um, we- so actually, we could be in a Starbucks and it might be the most romantic moment of our lives. Absolutely. And I'll add to that. Um, just as we've talked about time passing and time providing perspectives, it is hindsight that makes things romantic, right? For me, at least, um, you know, uh, uh, Fitzgerald's sat on a terrace somewhere in, I don't know, rural Italy. It's fictionalised the moment. Um, they could be in a cafe that in my eyes is the most beautiful place I've ever heard of, but to them it was just a cafe, and that's what Starbucks is. Perhaps to me it's just a cafe, but, you know, maybe my great-grandchildren would say, you had a frappa lapicino at a Starbucks in Paris. I can't think of anything greater than that. And that that's great. That's good. Um, some writing is, is determined to cast its uh, opinion onto its readers. Um, I'm telling you this is how it was. But travel writing, though recording a space or recording a time or a person, actually has the great freedom to let someone go, well, I wouldn't want to do that. That sounds atrocious. Um, and there's value to be found there, which is really, really exciting for me personally. That's brilliant. So, okay, let's 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 circle back and 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 talk about uh, about people um, and um, how one interacts with um, the locals or quote unquote the natives. Um, mm-hmm. If one goes back to the uh, Victorian colonial right. um, travel writing of uh, Isabella Bird and um, Rudyard Kipling and 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 all that. Um, also, technically, Rudyard Kipling isn't travel writing because he was living there, but it's bringing the exotic to. Um, to to readers Mm. and I think one of the criticisms of the likes of Peter Mell and I don't want to just pinpoint on on him but Mm -hmm. the likes of him where uh, they um, people go off and they live in a place um, and they go oh aren't the jolly natives jolly or um, aren't they rather silly not like us yes (laughs) Yes. Um, so um, there's that um, and there's a uh, I think that's kind of falling out of out of fashion yes. and an acceptability yes, yes. Um, in the modern world. Um, and there is much more of a, um, or there needs to be if there isn't, uh, more of a respect for people who live in the country where you're visiting. Mm. Would you care to, to say something about that? No, I agree. I agree. And Rudyard Kipling is actually a very good example. I've just finished his first book, Plain Tales from the Hills, which is written uh, in the 1890s, turn of the century. Um, age 17, a young Rudyard returning to Simla as it was called back then, and 
telling you fictional stories informed by the truth within his local neighborhood. And yes, they are colonial, and yes, they are just quite uncomfortable at points, but they're also the perspective of a 17-year-old. But in that, there is this this relationship with local people. Um, at one point, someone related to him, unfortunately, uh, kills himself in grief. Um, this being Victorian England, uh, Rudyard Kipling decides that this is not the result of depression, but the fact he's just not good, good enough of a character. Um, that we wouldn't spring this on a polite English family and tell them. And when the local people quite rightfully come to kind of say what's going on here, he just says, oh, he's got cholera, and he describes him as scuttering away, and, uh, as scared, you know, look how silly you are. But really, um, it's a very warped, it's a very warped view, and one that I want to avoid. Um, as best as I can, I will try to paint people as real. Um, you know, we all, I would be naive to think that I can cast the character of a local person how they would like to be perceived because I am not their friend if the piece is a short one where I've just interacted with them and that I'm not a local person. They will be seen through my British lens. And that's a strange lens. I mean, that's a point we could touch on. You know, what is it to see people abroad and what is it to see people as a modern young British person? Um, I am inexplicably British, whether I want to be or not, right? And and there's a great deal of introspection to be had there. But um, I certainly see the world through my British lens. Um, we have to factor in globalism and how young people engage internationally and that um, what was traditionally seen as foreign is not so foreign. And that also has an impact on the ocean of, uh, you know, locals because locality is a, a different concept now. Um, I have friends who listen to Korean hip-hop who wear uh, Spanish clothing labels and talk about their trips to Peru. Um, the world is small. This is a good or bad thing. A debate is there. But um, it does mean that um, the way we experience culture shock is very different. I can think of a personal example uh, in Tokyo. That's a taxi. That's a train. That's a bus stop. Oh, but the taxi doors open automatically oh, the train is incredibly on time, and yes, the bus driver is speaking to me through a microphone. That's where the culture shock is. Whereas my grandfather talks about travelling in the 30s and people being decidedly foreign. They wore completely different clothes, they ate food that I did not know, they certainly didn't speak my language, and they had no real uh, cultural share points other than shared human things like eating, laughter, joy, romance, love. Um, so that has an impact on who we are as travel writers and, and how we engage with that world. I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's fascinating. And I think there is something to be said for reading travel writers from a different era mm. um, for exactly that um, and for trying to understand um, their particular mindset, their culture. Uh, the past is another country, as um, L.P. Hartley said right. um, in um, The Go-Between. Um and it is another country, and we can travel there through the eyes of Rudyard Kipling. We may not have the same Victorian morals, and we would be quite shocked, perhaps, mm, by mm. some of the ways that he describes uh, the, the Indian people. Um, but actually, it's an education. We we learn we learn something um, that is, um, a, and in a way, putting aside judgment. Um, and I think we live in a society that's easily outraged, um, but. The past is the past, but it's it's good to read those things because you may be it may be shocking and we may be outraged, but it informs us and it tells us something about what we don't want to be like now anymore, um, as much as just um, reading things um, that 
affirms our view. It's a bit like the echo chamber of, of Facebook. Um, if if uh, if we can um, uh, look into the past and learn from it. Um, so uh, I, I, we've we've talked a lot about uh, travel writing, but what is interesting is that the, it's the the writers that we've mentioned have all been men. men. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how do you think travel writing is affected by gender? That's a great question. Um, and to me, the question, you know, kind of from an academic lens, the question you're maybe asking me is, um, do men and women travel differently? Um, I'm going to give one of those horrible yes and no answers. <laughs> but actually, I agree. Yeah, I have my own opinion. So we'll... we'll yeah, and, and let's get into it. it. And I would... It would be unfair and false of me to suggest that someone's perception of the world is the same as mine. And their gender identity uh, will inform that. They will uh, inhabit that space differently. Uh, there's been a great level of conversation about this saying where are the female travel writers uh, and they exist now um, uh, but uh, they tell different stories I think um, men have a habit of ex ex kind of I think pushing for the most extreme outcome I'm going to sail up the river with one paddle naked at 2am <laughs> um, and everyone goes wow that was silly and here I am to survive the tale um, Whereas uh, I think uh, a kind of a kind of fairer approach that says these experiences don't have to be driven by life or death <laughs> can actually provide a great deal of insight, um, you know. And then there's no. Um, I, I would like to touch on Joan Didion again. She's not considered to be a travel writer, but she certainly talks about moving in California and describing. Uh, somewhere that feels foreign to me there um, and actually I find her work to be more poignant more moving more realistic than any other writer I've read about the west coast and to me her writing speaks to me regardless of she being a woman or not it doesn't feel important to me um, but equally questions of whether gender influences how we travel is is a good way to also introduce does any defining characteristic change the way we travel? Um, and intersectionality is really important. Um, you know, identifying people of color and diversity. Um, and that's changing a great deal in the travel writing scene. Um, there are some uh, brilliant travel books being written that are, are, are done or produced by people maybe on the fringes of society. You know, okay, what is it like to be a trans woman of color traveling in Latin America? Because it's, 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 it's not going to be how I experience it. So there we go. There's the evidence. Yes, it is different to travel as a, as a woman. But at the same time, um, she may articulate lots of things that I find very familiar and I'm very comfortable with. And then I could say, well, no, the writing's more important. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's complex, <laughs> which isn't a satisfying response. I appreciate no, no, that. I, I think it's, I mean, life is nuanced. And I think the um, tendency to want to reduce and categorize everything actually um, diminishes the world we live in and diminishes our perspectives. So I think the fact that um, I think, you know, where you're saying there are, there will be commonalities, uh, but actually one's experience of something uh, uh, of a place and people is, is going to be different because one will be perceived differently. And I think for me, one of the key things about traveling as a woman 
um, uh, is the anxiety about safety. Mm, um, mm. And a man, as you say, it might not be as extreme as, you know, ca- uh, canoeing one paddle, then, uh, you know, whatever, but it's the 2 a.m. thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and at the moment, uh, with the Me Too and uh, all the um, uh, the outrage around the um, uh, whether women should should be walking alone across Caffham Common because is it potentially their fault that they're um, you know uh, attacked and kidnapped and um, and and you know and actually the conversation is is a, is a lot wider and the, um, about. Um, actually, we should be able to walk safely across our own park just outside our house as much as being able to travel the world safely. But that is, in reality, still, we're very far from that. Um, And so um, I think there are different um, uh, considerations when one travels. And so uh, there are going to be different considerations in in one's experience that one writes about. one of the great books of travel writing, adventure writing um, that I love um, and I know a lot of my uh, uh, friends love is Cheryl Strayed, mm. Wild, where she goes on the hike uh, across the uh, Pacific Crest Trail on her own, um, having never hiked before. So it's as much about being in the landscape as learning to pack her rucksack mm-hmm. um, and the physical endurance she has to go through. Mm. But the most anxiety-making moments of that story is when she comes off the trail um, and she's back in quote-unquote civilization and she's met, uh, she's sort of standing on the side of the road and she's hitchhiking and a guy in a pickup truck pulls up mm-hmm. and all the female readers are kind of going, uh-oh, oh God, let's hope that it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's those moments which... Uh, when you're encountering a man on his own or a gang of men, mm. um, that for women travellers, it is very, very nerve-wracking, mm. which is not to say that one shouldn't travel um, no. uh, and be one should, uh, but there are precautions and anxieties that surround all that. I think it's really interesting that you say this shouldn't put you off travelling. Um, I read a brilliant paper yesterday by Sarah Tilly and Donald Houston in the Journey of uh, the Journal of Transport Geography, um, and the paper's five years old, but it says that um, young women now travel more than men, overwhelmingly, one third more women travel than men. Fantastic. Um, and the paper says, why is this? Um, and a lot of it is, it's a really nice answer, actually. It's um, women are more socially mobile, men are less socially mobile. Um, so women want to see the world and they have a, a real yearning to, um, as they should. Um, yeah, I think I think what's interesting about the safety the safety. Uh, concept is um, the way in which uh, men and women experience threat abroad is very different. I think perhaps the threat of or the concern of sexual violence is very legitimate um, for young women or women in general, very, let's be uh, clearly. Um, but for men, it's the threat of just violence. Um, lots of lots of travel writers gleefully retell the moments of being held up at gunpoint or being stabbed or being robbed but I'm sure at the time they had a horrible experience it's just the outcome seems um, writable whereas I think if you're a victim um, of uh, sexual violence that you know that's very life-changing and and very different Um, so this the stakes may be different Um, there you know traditionally there was always this idea that okay 
it, it's dangerous to travel, but if you travel within Western Europe, you should be fine. Um, you know, recent public events make that clear that is not true. Um, and you you almost think, can a travel writer give you a good, good um, retelling of a place by wrapping themselves up in cotton wool and insulating them from the threat? You know, is is a is a point of travel writing to be risky? Like, is that where the best stories are? You know, I've always found in my writing I'm exploring naughtiness or cheekiness or, you know, telling those moments where I snuck in somewhere or I did something. Mainly because people want to hear and find out about the things that they wouldn't want to do themselves, you know. What is it like to escape out of a prison? Or what is it like to bribe a police officer? Or, you know, what is it like to get into a top Hollywood party when I'm not invited? Because I can never do that or I wouldn't want to, but someone else can do it for me. Um, and so that brings up another interesting question, which is, do we feel that when we go off on holiday, we're on holiday from our lives, and when we go off travelling, we've escaped our normal lives, and so normal social codes and and um, kind of uh, good behaviour as required by, you know, we have to get up and we have to go to work, and we really can't trash the computer at work, because although we really feel like it. Um, That's I mean, all over the gone, right? <laughs> um, and so is, is that, do we give ourselves permission um, or like to take vicarious pleasure in somebody? Uh, so going abroad is a kind of sense of freedom that we can actually misbehave in somebody else's country, hence uh, all the uh, bad press for certain British travellers who mm. might go and you know mm. get completely drunk and be just awful for the you know public image of Britain mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in a foreign place that they might not do here. Mm. I do. I behave badly. You know, there's the scales of badness, let's make that clear. <laughs> but um, I'm open to things more. It's funny, I say to myself, Callum, uh, you're abroad now, so you have more time to relax. And I pack my days tighter and tighter with more things to do. But it's because I feel I can. And I know that I can cancel something at a moment's notice. And oh, well, we said we'd go to that restaurant, but why don't we go tomorrow? And you can't do that in your daily life. Uh, well, well, well I, I'm going to challenge you. Well, why not? Why, well, why do we? Not? Why don't we? You know, seize you're, the day. You're right. You're right. And it's very broad. That's very broad. <laughs> At the position I am, and I can only speak from my perspective, but the position I am, the schedule of my day is often made up of the terms and requirements of my employment and my employers. Uh, or, or you know, or, or really my social obligations or cultural ones. And um, we should have lunch here and at this time because it suits everyone best. Whereas on holiday, because you are putting in effort and time, it feels pretty ridiculous to someone else to tell you when you're having lunch. You know, and you almost because everyone's less stressed, you can say, actually, ah, friend, no, I do. I'm not going there. You go there, and I'll go somewhere else, and I'll see you up a hill or something. You know, that that feels doable. Um, it, it immediately brings to the mind money do you need money to travel and do you need money to be a travel writer um i would love to cast some mythical you know tale of how you could be penniless and crawl across europe hitchhiking you can but personally i find that motif is a bit tired um most travel writers i know are very well off um and you know six months in uh bolivia for example is perfectly viable um, which it isn't for most people. And maybe that's where, where there is still a role for travel writing then, is doing what most people can't afford to do. Yes, and, and I think maybe there are some people who might dream of, oh, if only I could be a travel writer, I'll get the publisher to pay me to go and spend six months <laughs> in, in Bolivia to, to write a book. Um, but I think th- these are, uh, there's an existential question there, which mm. is, I think, around where we perceive travel as a liberation. And, and b- 
aside from escapades and, and, and jolly scrapes. And japes, right. And japes. Actually, what that experience is, is joy. It's freedom. It's being childlike again. It's mm. experiencing something new. So it almost feels as if we have lost that in our daily lives, the daily grind. Mm. And so we look forward to our holiday and... That's partly perhaps why some people have found, um, many people have found the last year of lockdown and not being able to go on holiday mm-hmm. incredibly difficult right. um, because they that's their two weeks of joy. But um, wouldn't it be more wonderful to have joy in our daily lives yes. um, and bring some of that wonder that looking at things anew, um, talking to you know, you're in a foreign place, you talk to a local, oh my God, Giuseppe is so wonderful. I know, what's you know, he like? What's he, you know, and, and yeah. whereas actually, if we're walking down our street, what about John or Joseph or Joe down the street? Why don't we chat to him and find that he is a wonderful person? Mm. Um, because, you know, uh, uh, an Italian coming here, um, uh, you know, our Joe would be uh, his Giuseppe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's it's the newness and curiosity. And I suppose if we can infuse our lives with that enthusiasm, that uh, mentality of jolly japes without necessarily breaking the law and losing our jobs, right. uh, but that curiosity with people, the openness that we exhibit on, on holiday, wouldn't that make our lives be seem to be more of a perpetual holiday? Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's a, a, a oh, I'm going to call it a cultural agenda setting. Um, maybe I don't speak to Joe down the road because I know that most of the responses are kind of pre-programmed in that I could read him. You know, class is really important in this country and we use class and, and identity as a way to judge people and almost estimate their response and adjust how we do so the same. When you're in a foreign setting, I find I particularly get this uh, this feeling in the United States I cannot judge people, and so it's so much more risky to chat to them and find out. That said, the idea of making home like a holiday, let's have a holiday at home, is actually something I'm really learning to do. But I relate that to spontaneity. You know, hey friend, uh, the border to Wales has just opened up. Do you want to go to Cardiff? And then we zip down to Cardiff on Saturday and, you know, have a Guinness by the beach. It's all weird. And, you know, and then you get back in the car. But I... I agree with you, but I, I don't know if, if 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 the way to find satisfactory happiness and fulfillment in our daily lives is through the, the, the concept of foreigners' travel freedom. It maybe it's more to do with um, equity, equality, um, uh, you know, liberty, and these things are all political in my mind. Um, but I think you're right. I think I think you're right. Um, how we do that, I don't know, and whether that's what I want to do, I don't know. Well, I'm st- I'm still very caught up on abroad. Yes. And I don't know about you, but my pent-up desire to travel now is it it at kind of oh, well, volcanic see, heights. I'm I'm originally from Malaysia mm-hmm. and I came and I've lived here and I'm now British. Mm-hmm. And but there is a sense of a broadness for me here. Right. Um and in a way in the way that you would say that for the Victorians said that, you know, uh, Kurt's in the heart of darkness. He's mm-hmm. gone native, mm-hmm. he's gone completely mm-hmm. loopy mm-hmm. and wild, savage man. I've kind of gone native because mm-hmm. I've become very British, or specifically mm. English. Um, and I still find it absolutely tickling and, and thrilling when I see a cricket match on the village green um, and the, the, it's the local people playing and they're dressed in, in whites. And mm-hmm. it's, it's the equivalent of, you know, you going off to India and seeing an Indian wedding mm-hmm. um, and they're in their Indian uh, traditional wear. But it's like, oh, my God, they're playing cricket. This is right, so right. exciting. Right, right. Well, because it's so interesting because to be very honest, I go, oh, of course, 
Village green, cricket, whites. That's something we do. That's my crowd. You know, I'm not saying I'm a cricket player or a village <laughs> committee member, but what I'm saying is that does make sense to me. Um, like I still, I get the, I get the phenomenon you're describing within my own country because of the nature of the United Kingdom being four countries within one. When I travel to Scotland, I do, I, I never call myself English. It's something I avoid. I've always said I'm a British person, um, but that's really arrogant and really, um, I'm, I'm not made to feel English when I'm, when I'm in countries like Scotland. But when I'm with my Scottish friends. I do feel English. Um, I do feel English because, you know, there is a cricket scene in Scotland, but not many Scottish people have seen, you know, cricket whites and a cricket green. And they just, it just isn't there, you know. The idea of a mountain bothy is very exciting to me. Like, what's that? Ooh, a, a hut in the hills, let's go. Whereas, you know, they laugh because they've been going every weekend as with their parents <laughs> since they were kids, you know. Um, I think that's really interesting. And I'm kind of quite jealous that you get to see this country through that lens, you know. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, whenever my friends visit from abroad, one of my other friends who's British will always say, why are you here? What are you getting out of this country? Why do you like it? And um, so you can go, you can grow tired of your own country. That said, again, a, a question I have for you is, have you, have you ever gone abroad and ever thought, oh, it's time to go home now? Quite a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, because they do things differently there. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's the whole point of it. Um, and sometimes, interestingly, I go back to Malaysia mm. and I think, I want to go home. Mm. Um, because uh, home being England, mm-hmm. um, because they do things differently there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got used to things being done this way. This way. Right, right. <laughs> um, okay, so now... Um, Everyone travels uh, very easily now, and we can all find out about a place we're going to via the internet and social media. So, um, and that's quick. We look at pictures, we scroll through the Instagram feed and and everything. Is there still a role to sit down with a book um, or a long article, a long read? Mm. Uh, And uh, is there still a role for travel writing? I think I'm going to say yes, but I'd be putting myself out of a job if I said no. (laughs) But I'll tell you why I think yes. Um, Long form has a really important role in shaping long-term narratives. Uh, there's a there's a there's a kind of interesting um, conversation, and there's lots of conversations in the travel world. But this is a very important one, which is what role does travel writing have to play in fighting something like climate change? And does an Instagram video, you know, I'm not going to trash Instagram travel, um, but I'm going to offer an alternative. Does Instagram videos do they fight climate change? Well, some try, but you know, what's more effective? Um, it's about dopamine. Uh, Instagram reels are a feature of Instagram and you get a very seven, eight, nine second clip of a place. And they're used by travel travel influencers to promote a location. It will often mean a very high quality camera on a uh, on a on a stabilizing device panning across Lake Como and there's a as a girl or boy in very beautiful clothing, maybe at the wheel of a sports car or, you know, something like this. And and you get a dopamine hit. I'm not um I'm not immune to it. I look at them and go, wow, I wish I was on Lake Como. But I know for certain uh, that maybe those influencers are not not necessarily embedded in that culture as much as I would like to be. So I think the long read doesn't give you the dopamine kick you're wanting. It gives you other emotions. Um, I, it's very easy to make someone feel happy in seven seconds, to make someone realize um, that you were embarrassed in a place. I tripped over and I spilled my coffee on a little old woman and she was really upset by that and I could see people were concerned. I'm, I don't think you can do that in nine seconds. Otherwise, you're a BAFTA award-winning, you know, film, short filmmaker. But um, So that's where I fit in. Uh, 
I, I, I've been conceptualizing a book uh, that will be maybe written many, many years in the future, but um, it's this idea of uh, uh, producing a, a travel guide, this restaurant, this hotel, this town, mixing it with personal opinion um, and personal stories in this hotel. Uh, I tried this sandwich and it made me feel sick, um, but, you know, a bit more funny than that. Um, but actually, it's the concept of inviting the reader to feel that this place is accessible to them. Um, here's a pretty video of someone standing in front of a nice mansion, but wouldn't you like to know about what it's like being inside the mansion? Um, and that's where romance comes in again. It's, 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 um, I seem to get a buzz of selling people off things that they might not have. Does that make me a kind of purveyor of exclusivity and luxury? Well, I'd like to assure the listener that, <laughs> that I'm not, how much I'd like to be kind of luxurious socialite. That is not who I am. And maybe that would stop me being objective. So uh, I like what you said about uh, you used the word embedded, um, and um, I that brings to mind um, journalists who are embedded with a right. military unit, and mm-hmm. they experience it all, and they write ab- about it as if well a- as experiencing it alongside the soldiers. Um, do you want to talk about more of what what embedded means to you as a travel writer? It's funny it, when I think of embedded in in the kind of conflict war zone, I think of it kind of being ignored. Um, being a fly on the wall, keeping your head down whilst the soldiers get on with their task, you know, shoot to the enemy, whomever that might be. Um, I will I will watch and I will send back something that people don't see. And to be embedded is to be to be within, to be part of, to be around. Um, but it implies passivity or pass- passiveness, right? You, that you can't shape and you being there doesn't have an impact. Um, so for me to be embedded is to make tangible relationships within communities and depict them not necessarily as they'd like to be depicted. I feel no obligation to do so, but um, but actually to, to be fair, to be fair and actually not transient. And that's massively contradictory, right? We started this podcast by saying, uh, what is travel writing? Well, Callum thinks it is movement through space. So how can you have an embedded story where you reflect properly on people's lives and equally just be a passing leaf, a flutter in the wind? I, I don't know. And I can only say that if you if you read my writing, hopefully that comes through. Um, serious. And serious, I don't mean serious like, oh, we need to analyze this. I just mean just be serious about somewhere. Because every location means something to someone. It really, really does. I'm yet to arrive on a lo- some point on the earth where everyone go, actually, you know, undeniably not very nice. You know? So be respectful of that. Say why well, you don't like it. It's actually very diplomatic travel writing. And, 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 and that's, I think, the way it's going. Um, diversity is key. Um, and the days of the, of, 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 of the Rudyard Kipling up a hill casting judgment are gone because they do not reflect our day-to-day experiences. Um, it's interesting. It brings to it brings to mind something um, about you know objective experience. When I land off a plane at somewhere Luton Airport, my first when I, when I leave from Luton Airport, I think, oh god, Luton Airport's rubbish. And when I land, I go, oh, it's kind of gritty and rough, and this is why I like home, right? <laughs> um, but, but that's me being serious about Luton. Before I wasn't. Oh, get me out of here! Off I go. When I come back and go, no, 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 this is this is all familiar to me. This is all right. This all fits. Um, and there you go. Hopefully that's a story idea for someone. Give me a full thousand words on Luton Airport. And also, I think it's that um, it, it builds on what we were talking about just now around you go away to come home again. It feels so cliche to say, but yes, <laughs> you go away to come home again. And you feel it in writers that travel for months. You really do. You feel it in the writing. The writing really rambles, I, I find. Um, 
you you know if you go for too long you risk losing yourself i have a very close friend um who who um who actually uses travel to do the opposite which is to find himself again um but i think if you go too long for me at least you kind of you're maybe too much of the bliss right too much of that freedom isn't good for anyone i mean look at us we're sat here saying oh it's all even-handedly you know travel and you'll find yourself but really we should travel at home and actually you can find yourself whilst traveling abroad but equally you'll lose yourself you know it's very personal i think it's really hard to cast judgment absolutely um so uh we have all been affected by the global pandemic which has one of the as I touched on, you know, is, is one of the really frustrating things is restricted travel. Um, and it's likely that there will be more restrictions over the next little while. Um, and maybe going forward into the future, we don't know. Um, with um, pretend, There's lots of talk of potential other pandem- pandemics and, and so on. Um, so how do you think that is going to uh, affect travel writing um, and travel more generally? It's going to be more diverse and going to be more bespoke. It's going to be more fa- uh, flash, and by that I mean quick. Um, city breaks are in, I've called it. Um, the risk of lockdowns being imposed or uh, regulations changing um, will push us to take more quick-paced decisions. I'm going to be doing it in the next few weeks. Um, if the statistics line up and the laws align and I'm allowed to leave the country, I will, and I'll go for four days and come home and go, oh, that was nice. Um the things we do abroad will also change. I mean, I mean, you know, of course, they might be bound by social distancing, but um, you know, I don't know about you, but I found the pandemic has really emphasised the importance of bar culture and food culture to me because it's the first thing you notice when the lockdown comes. And um, your friends, of course, is what really hits you. But the first is, oh, I can't go to the pub. Maybe that's just me. Um, and a lot of cultures around the world are fixed it fixed around drinking and eating. It's such a human thing, um, and that not happening or that being able to happen it's going to be enticing or off-putting. Um, you know, as my friend said to me, Callum, uh, why don't we go to, um, why don't we go to Indonesia? And I said, yeah, but let's wait for it to open first because there's only so much scenery I can absorb. Um, so I think that, I think, uh, you know, there's been political movements in the past year just through the pandemic. Um, Me Too has kind of taken a renewed focus as has Black Lives Matter and actually a general assessment of, what diversity means to us in the United States and the United Kingdom. Um, you know, uh, these voices exist and have been writing for hundreds of years. It's just time we gave them a focus. Um, I realise that's, again, a bit rich for me to say as, as a kind of cisgendered, heterosexual white male, um, give someone else the, the limelight. Um, but, yeah, it's time to do that. It's time to do that. Um, social media, Instagram travel is going to keep growing. Um, and that's good. That's really good. Um, it, again, it's not the kind of travel writing I like to do, but it's good. It, it, it's, it's a format. Um, technology is at play, right? So uh, I think however much I put romance in my work, I try to reflect the world in its modernity. If I fly a drone and crash it into a tree, that should be included. You know, I'm not trying to pretend I am I am Hemingway and all I do is drink strong coffee. You know, that's, that's not who I am. Um, and we can use that technology to advantage to tell to tell stories. Sorry. And so you you touched on this book that you're you're thinking of writing. Mm. Um, are you working on any travel writing project at the moment? I'm working on three, which is a very dangerous place to be. Um, I'm working on a very short story. I say short. It's you know we're nearly, we're nearly at ten thousand words, but um, a short story uh, called "A Village in Preparation," and it is a 
my grandmother moved to South France many years ago, um, and in this very peculiar little southern French village is a folk festival that's been happening since the 80s, um, celebrating Gascony and um, Occitanie culture. And I decided that it was time to me to address my feelings towards the place by telling the story of the village preparing for this fête, this fête de Rondeau, it's called. Um, and so it's it's me starting at the top of the village. It's it's very island-like, this place, and moving down and, and telling you about people I know and meet um, and, and, and my kind of changing emotions. It's written in the first person, which I think is returning as a, a travel writing format, but it's actually also written in the present tense, which I'm finding very hard to do because traditionally travel writing is always done in the, in the, in, in the past tense. Um, so that's the first project. Uh, the, the second is I've started writing a book called Exotic Fish about Greece and about some trips I had to Greece and a p- potential trip I plan to do. And maybe, <laughs> maybe no writer should start a book without having done the, the, the stuff that is the core of the book. But, but the, the narrative, I think, is there. And I know who I am and what I want to say about it. Um, and that, that is, again, a quite traditional British boy in 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 the Peloponnese, but what does that mean? Um, and then this final one is is this this co-authored project we're looking into about a, a travel book in Italy. This travel um, travel log, really, but it's 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 much more commercial commercial commercializable and and and, and kind of sellable. Um, but that's good for us, I, you know. Um, I don't know about you and your experience of writing, but you know, ultimately. I'm not here to make money from it, um, but I am here to make uh, myself a name for myself, and that means um, selling things that people read. And I would, I'd like to think I'd never write something I wouldn't want to read myself. So, yeah. Brilliant. That all sounds really fascinating, and I look forward to reading all three as and when they come Thank out. Thank you very much. Um, now, Callum Ruddock, um, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, the best way is uh, I have a personal website, uh, callumruddock.com, nice and easy. Um, but I co-edit a very small um, kind of re- review of the world called Charge de Fers, um, chargedaffaires.co.uk, um, spelled charged affairs. Um, it's bilingual, but mainly in English. Uh, and it will give you plenty of tidbits from what I'm doing and where my life is. Um, and you can access some of my travel writing there. And if you're really in the mood to engage with me as a writer, um, I actually have a mood board, which I um, keep very up-to-date up-to-date on um, Tumblr. Um, which is magazineprefecture.tumblr.com, and that is the best place to kind of make an opinion of me, if you will. Brilliant. Callum Ruddock, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. My creative conversation today was with Callum Ruddock. There are photos and links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page. You can use the bit.ly short link, which is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. Or you can go to tigerspirit.co.uk forward slash blog and click through to creative conversations. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Conversations podcast, please share it with your friends wherever you share stuff. Or you can subscribe to the show and leave us a lovely review on anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Spotify. You can find it by searching for Creative Conversations and my surname, Ui, O-O-I. All this will help more people hear about the show. 
The Creative Conversations podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. The podcast web link again is bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. I'm Yang Mei Ui. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as at tigerspiruk. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.